what's better than earning money from a nine to five job? It's earning money while you sleep, which is made possible if you start investing. You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Demystified with your very own dynamic duo, Ava Benasaki and August Biniaz. Tune in as we discuss everything real estate, both on the passive and active sides. We feature life-changing stories of today's real estate leaders that will help build your own roadmap to success. This is a show that will lead you to diversified portfolio, a much bigger revenue, and a next level venture that brings you a smooth cash flow. Let's get this episode started. Hey everyone, we're really glad to be here today. We have our guest, Kathy Fecky. She's quite the diverse individual and we're really excited to interview her today and to hear more about her. Absolutely, and we go and research a lot of expert guests to bring them on so they can give you a lot of golden nuggets and their experience and their expertise so you can utilize a lot of that information to make profitable real estate investments and learn about this space really. And as I was researching for guests, I noticed Kathy, she's all over the place. She's been interviewed by many great she has her own platform where she interviews she's an educator she's an author she's a syndicate she's a busy bee she's as, a busy uh, bee she's on bigger pockets she's yeah. really yeah. awesome she platforms. was on bigger pockets before bigger pockets was bigger pockets <laughs> <laughs> when they were smaller pockets when they first started four years ago but yeah we want to have an engaging conversation with her we want to put her somewhat under the gun get her to answer some difficult questions as far as where the market is where the market is going as we speak, just a matter of a few seconds ago, 11.07 a.m. today, Wednesday, June 15th, Jerome Powell just announced that interest rates have gone up by 75 basis points. The oh. highest raise, I think, is almost ever that's taken place, a one-time raise, or I think it was one of the time that it might have been higher. But this is going to be affecting the markets greatly, and we're going to get... Kathy's you know, opinion about this. So please yeah. Yeah, tell a little bit about Kathy and we can start the show. Yeah, guys, really quickly here, a little bit about Kathy. She's an educator and she's the founder of realwealth.com. Now, Kathy has helped over 60,000 people acquire cash flow rentals in the fastest growing markets nationwide. And she's also syndicated 15 residential developments. So we're going to jump into exactly how she did all of this stuff and welcome Kathy to the show. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. You know what, Kathy, why don't we start off? Can you please tell us about your background and your start in real estate? And I believe at some point you're actually even modeling an acting, acting agent. 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 Oh, no. yes. yes. And, and you were, so tell us oh, how did all that come yes. about? Where did it go from modeling an acting agent into a real estate thought leader and educator? Go back far back. And I believe you started your company and sometime in 86, I think Ava was born sometimes in 89. So she <laughs> but yeah, was, Kathy, please walk us through the whole journey. That would be... It's hard getting old, let me tell you. No. So I'm a serial entrepreneur. What can I say? I learned very young that I don't like working for other people. So I learned very young how to work for myself. And I wanted to be an actress. I'm horrible at it. So that didn't go very far. But when I was young, I thought, gosh, I keep submitting myself to all these agents. And I'm not getting anywhere. So how about I start my own agency and submit myself under a different name? So that's the funny story. And the bottom line is I really just wasn't very good at that. But what I was good at was more industrial films. So I ended up getting paid very well. I think I was only 22 years old and was making $1,200 a day back then, which might be more like three to $4,000 a day today, maybe even more doing more. Like I had pretend to be a nurse and explain how to do certain procedures that I knew nothing about. Anyway, that was my 
modeling thing. And then just by random chance, I was in a bar and started flirting with a guy who ended up being a casting director. And and then I actually had a real legit agency for a while. I was putting people into pretty big films. But then when I met my husband, Rich Fetke, I it was a lot of work and I changed fields. And it was at that time that his book was really taking off in his career. His book was Extreme Success. He was on the road coaching people. He was on big media, flying to New York, being on big shows. They were really treating him like he was the next Tony Robbins. But it was right during that really fancy book tour where he was on like, again, USA Today front page type stuff. He noticed a freckle and it was on his forehead and he went to get it checked when he came home from the tour and it turned out to be melanoma. And that the doctor, after further tests, uh, thought it had metastasized to his liver and literally told my husband he had about six months at best. So that was just a shock. We were really at the top of our game. We just bought a big new house. We, he was, he had this book. What year was this? Yeah. Was 2002. Okay. We had a three-year-old, we had a seven-year-old, a mortgage payment that at the time was $4,000, but it might feel like 10,000, 12,000 today. So it was terrifying. Who cares about the payments? I, I literally, the love of my life, I refuse to believe it. And I do believe in the power of intention. So he's going to be fine. But in the meantime, I've got to figure out how to take care of the finances, even though I'd been a stay-at-home mom for a few years and forgot how to make money. But I did have a side radio show because I, again, my background in broadcasting and acting, I had this radio show in San Francisco that didn't make any money. It was probably a lost leader, really. I, I did it because I loved it and I could get out of the house away from the kids for a couple hours on Saturday. But I thought, why don't I use this medium to figure out how other people can make money without really working? What, what's this thing called passive income? I didn't understand it. I didn't come from a family who understood how to invest. My dad was a dentist and did well enough to, that we could go to college and had the things we needed, but he never really knew how to invest it. So it wasn't something I, and in fact, if anything, doctors and dentists at the time were often horrible investors and lost most of their money because they didn't trusted people and didn't have the time to really study it. So I just thought, I am going to learn this. And if that's the message I could give to people today, when you absolutely 100% commit to being good at something and putting in the time, you will be. You have to invest in yourself and your education. That's what I did. And I did it on the show that I had at the time. Amazing. And transition into real estate. How did you get involved in real estate? What were you doing? And talk to us about that. Yeah. Started just interviewing millionaires. I, I didn't know millionaires at the time. I might've known them, but I didn't know they were millionaires. So I just didn't know anybody with money. Maybe people that made a decent salary, like what I came from, but that weren't wealthy from passive income that could live off of their investments. So I just started interviewing people on this show. It was a pretty big San Francisco station. And really enough, I wasn't the only person interested in this topic. So my show grew really fast once I focused on this idea of passive income. And I interviewed people. I ended up bringing on a mortgage broker as a sponsor. So that was one way that I was able to make money right away. I brought this person on as a sponsor and charged him a lot of money. And that kind of helped us through some of the medical bills and the tough time we were going through. But the blessing in this was that he was a mortgage broker. And, and a mortgage broker who understood investing and many of his clients, he was giving investor loans to, and they were making lots of money from good leverage, from understanding how to borrow money to make money. So I thought, gosh, if I just do 
ads on mortgages. This you know, is boring and I'll lose people and nobody cares. But if I really interview his clients and find out what are they doing with these loans and how are they making passive income from real estate, that would be interesting. So that's what we did. And we interviewed people who were, were doing all kinds of things. There's so much to learn when it comes to real estate. So that just expanded my awareness. It expanded the audience awareness. Suddenly our phones were ringing off the hook with people who wanted loans. So my partners and sponsors said, hey, you should get your real estate license and, and help, help these people. So I did. Six months later, I was a mortgage broker, maybe one of the busiest ones. And I remember my first client came in and he was a multimillionaire. I was still just getting by. And he sat down at my desk and put all of his finances out and he said, tell me what to do. And I'm looking at him like, I have no idea. Like, oh, I faked it. I don't know. I ran out, grabbed my sponsor, brought him in. And it was just at that moment, I thought, wow, I don't really know how to invest, but either does this millionaire. That's when my awareness came that we need to create a network that's honest, that really teaches people what to do with your money and not rip people off. That's how we started Real Wealth Network. Bring in people that were willing to share the secrets of success and not force you to go run to the back of the room and pay $10,000 for some CD program that at the time it was well, CDs, remember before the internet. And I just thought I want a place where it's free and safe and people can come and learn from other successful people who have nothing to sell. All right. And then why don't you talk to us about what you're doing today? And you mentioned how you help people invest in one to four properties. Just one question. question Yeah, before you you go into that is so the Real Wealth Network. Yeah. So this you created this platform prior to GFC prior to. Yeah, yeah, that was 2003. 2003. Okay, so you're at this Mm -hmm. juncture. So this next question was you're helping people invest in real estate, single family, one to four units. So far, you helped thousands. But what happens there? What is the thesis? How are you helping people? Is it a subscription based? Are you getting a commission being a broker? Are you doing a mortgage? Well, how do investors connect with you? And what differentiates you at this time from any other real estate broker that is? And then we're going to get into how you survived and how your investors survived 2008. Like I said, when you invest in yourself and your education, you start to see things that other people can't see. And you start to see opportunity that again, others don't know is there. And that's what was happening. I was interviewing investors over and over again and finding out how they were making money when other people weren't. So that expanded my knowledge. And one of those investors was Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who many people followed. And he's helped so many people break through the mindset to understand cash flow. So I had him on the show somewhere around 2004, 2005. I had him on several times. It was early on. On a radio show you're talking about, Kathy? On my radio show, yeah. Okay, please keep going. Yeah, because I had a big show that I was able to get big names on. So it was then that he explained to me that, and I knew firsthand because I was in mortgages at that time. I remember my first mortgage was not that guy. It was one of my early mortgages where this person came in and just did not qualify, like literally didn't qualify. When I turned in his application, I fully expected it to come back But instead, the bank called and said, oh, he qualified. And I'm like, how is that possible? And they said, we adjusted his income. How can you do that? And they're just like, stop asking questions. We got it. And that's when I realized, oh, something is seriously wrong here. This is not okay. I came home and told my husband, he said, no, that doesn't, it's not just okay. I think they call that fraud. So I knew what was going on and I was very concerned. So when I had Kiyosaki on my show and I explained that, and he said, oh yeah, there's fraud everywhere. It's become normal. People can't see it. Again, 
people couldn't see that. And it was so obvious. It was right. What are you advising your clients at that time? Are you advising to buy? Are you advising to not to buy? What's happening? Wasn't going to advise them to buy in a fraudulent, frothy market. So I didn't know what to do. But that's where I was able to bring in these experts who had been in the business much longer. And that and Kiyosaki's, yeah, you got to get out of the frothy markets and get into the cash flow markets where the jobs are, where the people are moving to, and where the numbers make sense. And that just was like, duh, of course. And he was investing in Dallas. And when I started to look at that, because I'm from California, oh my gosh, these numbers do make sense. And I started to follow the jobs and see all the businesses that were moving to Dallas because of the tax incentives and the job-friendly environment. And yet the home prices were so cheap. So again, I was not conventional at all. I jumped on a plane. I was like, man, if it's good enough for Robert Kiyosaki, it's good enough for me. I found that first agent I met with wanted to sell me these $400,000 houses that didn't make sense. And I thought, oh boy, she just sees a big D on my forehead, dummy, dumb Californian. And, but I knew enough then to not get ripped off. So I ended up finding property managers. I met with 10 property managers, one every, I just booked them all day to find out who, I feel like property managers will tell you the truth because they don't, they have to take care of the property. They're not just getting a commission and walking away. So I felt, okay, these people are going to tell me the truth. And they showed me where the rental demand is and where people could afford. So I just bought properties in this path of progress where it made sense. We were buying $120,000 brand new, gorgeous homes that rented for $1,400, $1,500. This is you yourself and your family, or this is you and your group of investors? Who is buying? We did it first. My husband, Rich, and I did it first. We bought eight properties because again, back then it was pretty easy to get a loan. You didn't even need any money down in some cases. I could go on a trip, come back with eight properties. It was crazy times, but you might think that's speculative. And most people were speculating this. I'm literally talking like this is when people were doing crazy, stupid things. And you could say that we were going by eight to 10 properties in a weekend is not smart, but they were cheap and they cash flowed. Relatively speaking, they were quality properties, beautiful, brand new homes that cash flowed right next to an area where there was the highest job growth in the country. Where are they now? Have you exited these properties? I was properties? just going to ask that. Yeah. Do you still own them? I was literally taking a walk today, just feeling regretful. And then I remembered regret is never a powerful emotion. No, we sold them in 2012 mm-hmm. right before the values went up because I thought, oh, there's better deals elsewhere. And unfortunately, that was a bad choice because yeah, those properties we paid 120000 for are probably worth about 500,000 today, maybe more. So one of the lessons is if you're in a good area with A-class schools and it's working, don't sell, just hold it, take maybe refi, take the money, go to something else. But yeah, no, we sold them. You sold them. Hey, you know what? I think every real estate investor or any investor has always said that to themselves. Darn it. I wish I held a little longer. Now, the next topic I want to touch on, Kathy, when we were doing some research about you, we realized that you speak lots about market cycles. You have been through a few cycles. Like the one we just spoke about. Yeah, (laughs) you've been through a few real estate cycles yourself. So can you, what is a real estate cycle? It's the ebbs and flows of the economy. Unfortunately, today, it feels more like there's puppeteers and we're the puppets. The economy, a free market natural economy is just basically supply versus demand, right? People want something, somebody provides it, and that's an economy. But And if there's too much oversupply, then prices go down. If there's not enough supply of something people want, prices go up. So now it's very manipulated. 
So it's really hard to forecast when you don't know how you're going to be manipulated. So there, how can I say this? Like the Federal Reserve basically controls the money flow. And when they open the valve and pour a bunch of money into the system, that generally leads to price gains and inflation because inflation in the things that are of limited supply, but people want it. When they open up the floodgates to make money cheap with low interest rates and to print money and add money to the money supply, that will generally drive up prices on the items that people want because there's more money chasing them. Then when things get too hot and prices go up too much and inflation gets too high, then the Fed pulls it back. Low raises interest rates to make money more expensive. So people don't transact as much. Things just are too expensive. And then they stop the printing of money and money goes out of the system by selling off their assets. So we're very much to say we're at the whim of the Federal Reserve is the best way I can say it. In your opinion, real estate is cyclical? Right now, it's in the hands of the Federal Reserve. That's all I can say. Overall, real estate as an asset class, as a sector. Lots of people have been saying real estate is cyclical. And so since 2014, there's been people saying that real estate was going to crash and they were completely wrong. And the reason they were saying that is because they thought it was cyclical. And they said, every 10 years, this happens. That's not how it works. Right now, we have Federal Reserve that will either print a bunch of money to keep things up or not. And so... Yes, it's cyclical, but who's controlling the cycles? That's really where you've got to look. So right now, we know that the Federal Reserve is tightening. They are trying to make money more expensive and slow down the inflation. But the funny thing is, they created the inflation they're trying to slow down. That creates a cycle that we're in. So like you know, what we've done, we were researching about, we just wanted to be, obviously be more knowledgeable, but go ahead, Ava, if you want, we were researching about real estate cycles and real estate, real estate actually does go through cycles and it continuously goes through these cycles. The so it recovery, goes through the re- expansion. It doesn't have to. It goes through recovery, expansion, hypersupply, recession. So it continuously goes through a cycle. And going by that explanation of real estate that goes through recovery, expansion, hypersupply, and recession, which one of these market stages do you believe we're in currently? Shockingly, we're still in a stage of that where it's undersupply. Undersupply. And this is for both multifamily and single family, if you look more on the residential side? Yes. Great. All right. So yeah, we want to focus more on the services you provide, obviously reading up on you a bit, helping over 60,000 investors. What is a journey of an investor? An investor sees some form of content out there. For example, on our show, they want to connect with you. They want to invest with an expert. And I earlier asked this question from you. What sets you apart from a real estate agent? Somebody comes to you. What is the service they receive when they're about to invest in a one to four unit real estate asset going through you and your network, or they just go to a real estate agent? What is the services you provide to, which you have also already done to 60,000 investors? I learned back in 2004 that most real estate agents are not experts in investing. They may be an expert at helping you find your dream home. But when I got off that airplane in Dallas and met with one of the top agents and she was directing me into the most expensive neighborhood that was negative cash flow, that's when I learned I don't want to talk to agents. I want to talk to investors and I want investors to help me. Where do I find that? And that's when I thought, gosh, I wonder if property managers know better. And it turns out that the property managers we decided to work with, they owned property themselves. They understood. If you go to ask any real estate agent what a 1031 exchange is or what the tax benefits are, most won't know. That's changing. 
there's more and more people who do understand this, but the average agent doesn't and they get it wrong and they mess up and they shouldn't be giving advice at all if they don't own investment property. So I would say the biggest difference is that I create an, a network of real estate investors who will provide you the real estate because they either are property managers themselves or they work with property managers that they have good relationships with. So if you were to decide, I want to buy a property in Dallas, Texas, but who should I call? You'd probably call somebody who has invested in Dallas. So that's what we provide is we've invested with these people. We now have thousands of people who have invested with these teams. There's a track record. There's a knowledge. There's an understanding of what people are wanting to achieve, which is financial independence, which is cash flow, passive income, like we talked about at the beginning. That's it's right. not living in your dream house. That's yeah. right. So investors come to you and you guide them and, and hook them up with the right people in order to make the right investment. Decision. And they can connect with others that's part of your mastermind or your network. Is this a subscription-based process? What is it a fee to pay? How, How do they connect with you? How do they become involved. part of your tribe? I should have charged probably over the years, but I think I was so angry back in in the beginning when I started that there were so many shysters out there that were just ripping people off. I just went to the extreme opposite and said, you know what? I'm going to give it all away for free because I want to learn and because this is what I would want. And the way I monetized that was I was a mortgage broker. So I would do the loans. I'm not anymore today. Now I'm, my husband is a real estate broker and we make a broker to broker fee. So if you're going to pay, you're paying that anyway. So some of that just comes to us. And it's again, it's free to the investor. We just get a portion of the broker fee and they there's so much volume that they don't mind sharing it with us. Just to quickly go over this journey again, I think it's very important. Somebody sees you on the show, they want to invest in Dallas, for example. We're actually looking at an asset in Dallas, but it's more of an institutional type asset. But somebody wants to, as a Canadian or an American, sees the show, hears about your experience, wants to invest in a one to four unit property in Dallas, Texas, hopefully cash flowing. Walk us through that process. They get on a call with you. What happens next? Yeah. So if, they, if you go to the website, realwealth.com, you will automatically, it's free again to join. You will automatically have the choice to speak with one of our investment counselors who they all are very experienced. They, none of them need to work because they all own enough property at this point and they bought through our network. You'll get assigned to one of them once you join and you can have a call and they'll help you set up your strategy. Everybody's strategy is different. You might be somebody who's so busy and make so much money that you don't really need cash flow today. You want the tax benefits. So it might be a different asset than somebody who just wants to retire or travel the world and just wants $2,000 a month in cash flow. And they just want to be in Ohio. So that it's like everybody has a different goal. So our investment counselors will help you map that out and then point you in the direction of the teams that can provide the deals basically to help you meet your goals. Also on the website at realwealth.com, there's different cities that we really believe have the job growth, the population growth, and the numbers work. How do you get that data? You just join for free. It's on there. There'll be a list of- How do you guys get that data? How, how do, do we get it? Oh, how do we get it? It's a combination of, we have now over 60,000 investors. So we send out surveys regularly to find out, hey, where are you investing? Where's it good? Part of it is my connections now with so many economists. And I'm constantly interviewing people on The Real Wealth Show who can- tell us where these, they have access to far more charts than we have at Real Wealth, but they give them to us and show us where is the growth. We know that the Southeast is one of the fastest growing parts of the, of the country and still affordable. Now I'm in Boise, Idaho today. I'm in a hotel room and conference. 
Boise used to be in a market we invested in 15 years ago. Today, prices have gone up, I don't know, 40% since last year, maybe 50%. So I wouldn't necessarily do it today. But there's obviously a lot of growth in the Northwest, but is it going to cash flow? Hmm, probably not, unless you really find a great deal. But the Southeast, you still can. You can get that growth and cash flow. Great. So we're just always looking for that. Where can you get it all? Where can you get cash flow and appreciation? Because being a Californian, I'm not that interested in just cash flow. I think that's a little bit boring. You still live in California? I do. Okay, I'm, I'm one of the few. Awesome. Yeah. Let's yes. go ahead and switch the conversation. Let's talk about syndication. In some of your interviews, I watch do syndicate deals. You do focus on development projects. So talk to us about briefly, how do you structure your co-syndication? So are you partnering with a developer where you syndicate and you bring on investors who've connected with you? and then come on on the equity side? Are you partnering with a general contractor? How are you structuring these syndicated ground up development projects that you're building subdivisions that you speak about? Well, it certainly evolved over the years. In the beginning, I was, again, giving. So I was just angry at kind of the system. And how do you say it? I like to shake things up. I remember very early on as I was learning and I had a, a developer call me in 2009 when he came out of retirement, because he's like, I can't just sit and watch these deals. He's like, oh my gosh, I can get stuff for 10 cents on the dollar. Can you raise money? And I said, oh, I have no idea. But he would walk into B of A and there would be row, like aisles lined with boxes of foreclosed land and subdivisions and things that the bank just wants nothing to do with. What, what's a bank going to do with a half-finished subdivision? Like they don't do those kinds of projects. So he was able, and he does. So he would just go and talk to the asset manager at the bank and say, hey, how about what's in this box? And, oh, I don't know. It was an escrow for $6 million. What's your offer? Oh, I don't know, 600000 Okay. We were just, he called me and said, banks are shut down. They're, they're failing left and right. I appreciate that, Kathy. I appreciate, but tell us currently, if you're going to syndicate a subdivision that's being built by a developer, are you partnering with a developer currently? No, we're not doing any more ground ups. Too hard. You're not doing any ground up syndication. Are you involved in the syndication at all? In syndication, we're doing buy and hold only because it's just very hard to get anything. On the multifamily or what about asset class? We're doing single family fund actually. A oh. single family fund. So you raise capital from group of investors and you deploy it into buying single family properties that are cash flowing. Yeah, I think because a lot of the apartment syndicators, not that we're not doing that if we find a good deal, but most of them are flipping apartments and that's fine. But people get excited about all the tax benefits they're going to get from these apartments. But when you flip it, you got to remember this recapture, you're going to pay those taxes back. So I'm a buy and hold investor. I'm not that interested in flipping apartments. I want to find an apartment that gives me lifelong cash flow. So that's more what we're interested in. And right now, single family actually does pretty decent return compared to some other things. Cap rates are so low with apartments. Again, there's nothing wrong with flipping apartments. Now is going to be a lot harder though with interest rates up. And I think there's going to be a lot of apartment investors that are, got caught in these bridge loans. And <laughs> the tide is going out and we're going to see people, some people stay in there, standing there naked, yeah. Warren Buffett said. But quick question for you. What is your number one pick for a single family investment property as far as a city? What's the number one? If I tell you, then everyone will know. That's good. It brings more volume to that city. Hopefully you're already invested. We're still in areas outside of Tampa, Florida. I really think that's going to continue to grow outside of Jacksonville, part areas in North Carolina, surrounding Raleigh and Charlotte. These areas are really expensive, comparatively speaking, to, to, to their 
just the past 10 years, but you can find suburbs where the numbers still can make sense. These are areas that are growing because all the people leaving New Jersey and New York and trying to find sunshine and lower taxes and a better way of life. And now they can, they're moving south. Perfect. Moving Last south. question before the next segment of our show. Let me ask this one. <laughs> sure, okay. sure. Your prediction is that it's very unlikely that there will be a housing crash. Can you please explain your, your thesis? I want to come back and say that we so much is out of out of our control. Fed were to continue to raise rates forever and interest rates go up, it's going to really affect housing. But right now we have, as I said, low supply. We've got builders like me who just, it's hard to get anything finished. You can't even get the supplies you need to finish property and it's expensive. Now with rates going up, new home builders get hit hardest. So they're not going to be in any big hurry to build more housing. And this all happens at a time when you have the largest group of millennials aged 28 to 34, the largest group of people ever in history, just coming into first time home buyer age, just forming families, forming households. And there's nothing out there for them because people are, it's the lock-in effect where people are living in their homes at 3% interest rates and low payments and tons of equity. They're not If they lose their job, they're not going to be like, oh no, what do I do? I've got $500,000 equity in my house. You know, they're going to put their house on the market and sell it. We don't have a foreclosure crisis. It's foreclosures are at very low levels, massive amounts of equity. People who got into homes with good loans, good credit, highest credit ever. They have equity, low payments. Nobody's going to leave their home and there's not anything really new on the market that's affordable. So You've got just not enough supply and tremendous demand. So the reason the Fed is raising rates is to slow down this insanity of prices. Like I said, in Boise going up 50%, that's terrible. That's terrible for homeowners. Will there be a correction? Do you predict there's going to be a correction? There's always markets that where it won't do as well as others. But in the areas, again, where there's job growth, where there's population growth, where there's people coming from high price markets to more affordable markets, you're not going to see a problem. Is there maybe going to be a problem in Detroit? I don't know. I don't invest there. Is there going to be a problem in South? I don't know. I don't think the problem in Detroit has gone away, but all right. Awesome. Let's get to the next segment of our show. The 10 championship rounds to financial So rapid freedom. fire, Kathy. <laughs> Here we go, Kathy. Number one question is, who was the most influential person in your life? Oh, I would have to say probably my husband. Nice. Amazing. Okay. Wonderful. Now, what is the number one book you recommend? Oh, again, if you haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you better. Second would be mine. Retire Rich with Rentals. <laughs> There you go. Okay. Fantastic. Now, if you had the opportunity to travel back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh my gosh. I wish I could. I think Elon Musk did that. I'm pretty sure he went to the future and came back. Anyway, I would probably say be very cautious about who you trust and trust, but verify. I was far too trusting in the beginning when I started. So really understand your underwriting. That's what I would tell my younger self. Nice. All right. What's the best investment you've ever made? It was probably back when I was saying the developer came to me and we bought land in Florida for 10 cents on the dollar. And that we just sold, we paid 800,000 for it and just sold it for about 12 million. All right. Now what's the worst investment you've ever made and what lessons did you learn from it? I would say there's been a few, but just the one that comes to mind is when I trusted somebody who I thought, my gosh, I'm a radio host. I'm well known. You're not going to probably try to screw me over or try to rip me off because I will tell people about that. But it still happened. Somebody sold me a $50,000 home. I just was testing the market because like I said, I like to test it first before we tell our investors at Real Wealth. And then I went to see it after I'd closed on it and paid cash. And the neighbor comes by and they're like, oh, you're the California who bought this piece of, it was a tear down property. It was falling apart. The tenants had to be moved because the house was going to collapse on them. It was 
so stupid. And it was only $50,000, but a big waste of time and energy and stress. And so yeah. again, due diligence. Yeah, due diligence. All right. Now, how much would you need in the bank to retire today? What's your number? In the bank or invested? It might I'm not be keep any money in the bank. It might be a trick question. <laughs> so let me take it as it is. I'm not keeping money in the bank. I would say that I would be comfortable with a million dollars passive income. Nice. Nice, nice answer. Nice. All right. If you could have dinner with someone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, oh my gosh, you guys. Okay. Dinner with somebody dead or alive. Elon Musk. Let's go with that. Elon nice. Musk. Nice. Super cool. Okay. If you weren't doing what you're doing today, what would you be doing now? I'm going to take a guess as an actress, but let's see. I would probably just be a mom and grandma. I have a two-year-old grandson and I, that's my joy. Beautiful. My children. Amazing. Okay, Kathy, book smarts or street smarts? Both. 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 I can't choose one or the other. Both. You have to have both. Nice. But if I had to choose, at the end of the day, it's going to be your experience. So street mark, street smarts. Yeah, street smarts. Okay, last question. If you had a million dollars cash and you had to make one investment today, what would it be? Me personally, I'm buying in our Park City where we have a development in Park City and I'm buying some of those homes myself because I just think some of the high-end vacation areas are going to continue to do well even in the coming years. Park City is where? Utah. It's a ski town. Very nice upscale ski town. How much are they going for? They're $2 million. They're two so I put a million down and I would finance the million. I actually think they're our own development there. I think they're going to double in price. Okay. Awesome, Kathy. What's the best way people can reach you? Real Wealth. It's, it's realwealth.com and sign up for free. And then my Real Wealth Show podcast. You can find me there a lot too. Amazing. Okay. Really appreciate you being here. You added a lot of value to us. We're sure we're our viewers and listeners. And thank you so much. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We hope this conversation enlightened you on how to win big in this highly profitable and risk adverse space. Get on your feet and embrace this world that offers so many opportunities just waiting for you out there. Continue your journey to becoming a savvy real estate expert by subscribing to the show at cpicapital.ca. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and share with your friends. See you on the next one.